Please note, if you're listening to this, you must be 18 years of age or older. This podcast contains adult themes and may include descriptions that listeners could find offensive. Thank you. You don't have to save the world. You just have to make a difference where you can with the opportunities you are given. Dr. Weller from Genlock. Welcome to the Kinky Nerdy Polly Podcast. This is episode 34. Hello, I'm G. And I'm M. And today on this uh, nerdy episode of the KNB Podcast, we are going to be talking about a TV show. Yes, that's right, G. We are going to be talking about Genlock. Yes. So for the rest of this episode, we are going to be discussing the series in depth. There are tons of spoilers. So I would highly recommend that you go and watch Genlock because it's really good. And then come back and listen to this podcast. Yes, definitely good on noting that we will, in fact, spoil a lot. Yeah, and it sounds like Hoagie is going to be joining our podcast as well. I apologize. I have the, um, you mean H. No, wait, we can say Hoagie because it's just a cat. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just a cat. <laughs> I just, I'm high. Anyways, so yeah, I have my door closed, but he, um... He wants to be. He wants where the to be are. here with us. Yeah, he does. So yeah, if you hear a cat plaintively wailing in the background, that is that is M's cat Hoagie. But uh, we're not here to talk about Hoagie. We're not. So, uh, no, we're here to talk about Genlock. If you want to have an episode entirely talking about Hoagie, <laughs> send us an email. Uh, please send us an email, or if you're on the Discord, our little tiny Discord community. That's a bit. It's a very small but lovely space, which we will still have applications open if you'd like to join our Discord. The link will be in the show notes. Uh, Anyways, if you are on email or Twitter or Tumblr or whatever for us, and you want a whole episode devoted to my cat, Hoagie, please tell us. Because that'd be funny, and she she would be stuck having to do a whole episode about my cat with me. Yeah, that... That 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 would be true. <laughs> and, you know, if you if you want to take the entire nerdy episode to talk about your cat, you're entirely welcome to because I love you, Em. Oh, so cute. I, you know what we didn't talk about in the pre talk now that I'm thinking about it? Wow. I'm really sorry to all of our audience folks. We're getting way off topic before the topic begins, but. I just now remember that we could have talked about my mermaid comment, my aerial comment. <laughs> we'll we'll save that for the for the next pre-talk. The next pre-talk, okay. Yeah. But going back to what our podcast is ostensibly about today. Ostensibly. Yeah, ostensibly. We're going to be talking about a mecha anime essentially though i don't think it's technically an anime since it wasn't made in japan called genlock this is something i watched a few years ago at this point back when it was on the uh, rooster teeth uh, streaming service whatever that was called and it's recently been put on hbo max and i've gotten both k from our 
Polyamory in the Military episode, our guest from the Polyamory in Military episode to watch it. And I've gotten M to watch it because I think it's a really good show. Yeah, I do appreciate the suggestion of watching this show. It was just to say, like right off the bat, it was really good. Yeah. So, G, do you like have a structure of how you want to talk about this show? Like, assuming that our audience folks have now watched it and then coming to listen to this episode, or maybe they're coming to listen first because they don't care about spoilers and then they're going to go watch it. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Do you like, what do we want to talk about here? Well, I think one of the main, one of the things I would like to hit upon is the diversity in the cast, because I will admit the, I was originally, I originally started watching the show because David Tennant, was voice acting in it. But then I got sucked in by how amazing the cast was and how amazingly diverse it was. And specifically, Val was an important character to me. Not only are they a great character in the show, but also for my sort of personal gender identity journey. Is there anything you want to hit on uh, in this podcast? I think the talking about diversity is a great start. Uh, because it is a very diverse show. And I think that because the the people who created this, I'm just going to quote this Austin Chronicle uh, article. Mm -hmm. And it starts off by saying, how can a show created by a bunch of self-described straight white dudes ensure that it builds diversity and representation into its structure? And this is something that's very interesting. This is, as far as I know, the show itself was not explicitly like designed by all of these minorities that were represented but yet it was executed pretty well uh, and also I, I have another article here from variety talking about how they're also committed to having more diversity in the writer's room for season two so yeah it's obvious that it's obvious that you know diversity is important and it's also would like to make it a point for all the other you know white writers out there it is possible to write from a diverse viewpoint you just have to put some effort into it right exactly and that's what this article was saying from the austin chronicle was basically saying that they really went out of their way to directly talk to and connect with the groups that they were trying to represent so they uh, this is still from the article of course it's you know they've got two women one is scottish one is iranian Two men, one is Japanese and one is African-American, who's our lead protagonist as well. And one gender fluid character, which you had mentioned Vale and how they were very important to you. I also was very uh, pulled in by Vale as a character, Valentine slash Vale. And they basically consulted people whose cultures were kind of important for these things. But they admit you know, in their process, they know that they've made mistakes. So as far as that goes, you know, it's great that they were able to write well without like necessarily having the diverse writers themselves, but, you know, incorporating external resources. But it's also really cool to know that they will be diversifying the actual, uh, the people who get to write this the story. Because it does say that some of the things that they did could have been done better, and they know that. I mean, I'm pretty sure I've talked about this on the podcast before, but Valentine slash Val is like the first, at least to my recollection, like the first like heroic gender fluid 
trans character for, for the most part in in media there there are a lot of negative stereotypes associated with uh with uh trans people in media and for the most part when they are shown in positive light they're mostly depicted as supporting characters they're not the lead characters they're certainly not protagonists so having a gender fluid character be an actual prota- main protagonist of the series was really uplifting for me. I think there probably are other, of course, they're probably lesser known characters. But yeah, I'm curious about where else we see gender fluidity or even just transgender and folks in general. But gender fluid specifically is pretty, I don't know, it seems like you know, they could have gone with a, a binary trans person or just a straight up non-binary person to go with like a gender fluid person in specific, I think is an, a unique choice because as noted, there's a uh, link to a representative t- uh, character's Tumblr. Uh, there's an entry on Vale slash Valentine in there and it's linked in the show notes. And one of the things that is talked about is how most people will not have heard of gender fluid. And like, if they're watching this show, there's a lot of people who would have never heard of this. They might have heard of transgender in general, they might have heard of non-binary potentially, but uh, gender fluid in particular is a lesser known kind of identity outside of the realm of the transgender or broader gender diverse community. And so specifically using a gender fluid character really makes the, the audience curious. It, they, like they want to know what is this identity and obviously it's important for gender fluid people to see it too, but it's just like for someone, for people who are not within our community looking in, they might start to get curious, you know, oh, I didn't realize that, you know, people identified that way or that people have their, you know, uh, experience life that way or experience their being like that. Yeah. And I, I don't want to turn this into, <laughs> I don't want to turn this into entirely an episode about Val Valentine and my relationship with uh with them but um i've been exploring my gender like the past four four years at this point and i i did struggle a lot in the beginning about how to define myself and you know i eventually settled on gender fluid but watching the the line which is just sort of etched into my memory is when is when they're in VR and uh, Kazu and Kami find out that I mean one of the things I love is that you know it's not treated like it's treated as like a little bit of a surprise but it's not treated like a big deal if that makes right. sense like uh, I could easily imagine an alternate universe where they decide to make the entire episode about this reveal. Um. Uh, but they didn't go that way, and I think that was the correct choice uh, from a narrative standpoint. But you know, I think it, Kazu, you know, says, you know, what was your, but what were you born as? After like uh, Val reveals that um, they're gender fluid, and Val just sort of gets in really close and whispers, "You'll never know." Yeah, I also remember that very vividly from this show. It was very well done. Yeah, it's a it's a, a memorable part, I think, overall. Uh, that was something that definitely stood out to me. Yeah, but, and, oh, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. Uh, yeah, so it was just 
it really sort of helped. I'm not going to say it helped me decide to sort of settle on the gender fluid identity, but sort of helped me be more confident in the gender fluid identity, if that makes sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So, yeah. What what were you going to say? I honestly forget right now. I do apologize. Yeah, I do apologize to the audience folks, but it was a bad pain day for me. So I am um, currently high. And um, yeah, that might make for an interesting episode. (laughs) Yeah, so we don't have to make this all about Val. But Val is a very relatable character, I think, for a lot of us, even for me when like, because they start out as Valentina. And then you get to see Val later. And I really like related to kind of that shift, you know, going sort of towards the masculine direction. I was like, yeah. And the fact that I think it's like kind of implied that they can change their bodies easily in this universe. Yeah, there's a there's a pretty there's a not insignificant transhumanist element to the show. And I guess I should probably define transhumanism. Sure. I think we might have talked. I thought we might have talked about it back in our robots episode, but why don't you go ahead and give it to everyone again? So this is an off the cuff definition. So, you know, it might be wrong in some aspects, but essentially transhumanism is sort of the belief that we can use technology to enhance human ability uh, past the point of our biological limits. I think a sort of really big show, which I think really prominently featured transhumanism was, um, now I'm going to blank on the name of the show. Uh, We watched it together and it had the Altered Carbon. I was just about to say it. Yeah. Altered Carbon, you know, the idea of being able to digitize the mind and put it into a different body is a sort of big transhumanist theme i think and this show has i think a not insignificant i don't think it really super focuses on it but does have quite a few transhuman elements to it yeah a little bit is kind of like implied well of course one of the main things is that they are uploading their brains into the machines yeah the machines and that's pretty awesome I also think that in terms of the uh, like enhancing things, because they can share their mind space, right? They can do this mind sharing thing. And like that is also like even more transhumanist in a sense, because they kind of are merging their neural networks together to be able to like fight synchronously. Synchronously? Yes. Yes. (laughs) However you say that word. Um, And so, yeah, I thought that that was really cool. And I would in, you know, I think I, if I had the ability to like more freely change my form, like my body, like easily, then that would be really cool. But instead I have to go through this surgery next month. Can't just be like veil. That's like, Oh, look now I'm now I'm in this form. I feel like that's my dream of like, just being able to wake up each day and be like, what? What what gender do I want to present? What body do I want to have today? But we're we're not there technology wise, so we just have to deal with what we have. Unfortunately, yes. Although I aspire to be a robot, I think I am a robot actually. Yeah, you well, you identify as a robot. Yes, I do. 
And uh, speaking of identify, uh, I'm going to use that as a segue for uh, talking about identity in the show. Yeah, sure. So one of the, I think one of the themes of the show is our individual, our, our, our characteristics make us unique individuals, but what does it mean when you're able to make copies? Because one, one of the things you find out in the show, and this is sort of where we're going to get into really heavy spoiler territory, is that the main enemy mecha that they're fighting is a copy of the main protagonist, Chase, who got captured and corrupted. And what does it mean when when you're no longer an individual? You've, you've been copied, but you've also been changed. So who is the original at that point? Which, you know, this is not the first show to sort of dive into that topic. I think Star Trek has a couple of episodes which deal with that subject. Right. It's a pretty pretty well-trod uh, science fiction trope. But I think, you know, it does approach it from an interesting angle. What do you think, Em? Yeah, it was definitely really interesting. I had, like, some suspicions before it was revealed that that was uh, a copy. I had my suspicions. But I thought I thought it was really well done. I think it, it takes on existential kind of problems. And right before kind of like the big final fight, I think it was Yeah as it Yaz? Yes. The yellow one, right? Yaz is the yellow mech. Yes, the yellow mech. So I think Yaz was saying to Chase, like, you are basically like you change all the time. So like your present you is really not the same as your past you. And so I think that was saying like, we don't have to have our like minds copied to know what it's like to have a copy of ourselves um, in a sense. And I think, well, at least I view that from a very Buddhist standpoint, like the me I am now is really not the same person as who I was, you know, 10 years ago. And I think like the way that I see Chase, like the final battle with his copy is he has to reckon with like, is this me? If I destroy this person, am I destroying me? Uh, So it's very existential. But then I think at the very end, he kind of realizes like this sort of like the people change, like it's just a part of life Change is a part of life. And I think it was his acceptance of that, that allowed him to kill his copy. Yeah, I I think you'd be very hard pressed to find a person who wouldn't uh, who who wouldn't say that yes, the person who they were ten years ago is different from the person who they are now today. Uh, you know, it, it's amazing like how much I've changed in the past decade, and I and you know I know I'm going to change more in the future, hopefully for the better. <laughs> but I I think it's a I think it's a good a good uh, lesson or, or moral to teach. It's also something that comes up with the, at the end with Chase and his former girlfriend. Oh yeah. I'm forgetting her name right now, but yeah, the, uh, uh, the ground, the ground mech pilot. Yes. And of course I thought that she was going to be the one to die, but then he died. But then he's alive. He didn't actually die. Anyways, but then his copy died. So in a way he died. But my point is, <laughs> she says at some point, like at the very end, I don't think it was just you who died back then. 
I think we both died. And I think that's, again, this is the concept of time, like, especially when it comes to big events in our life, and they can be hard events, or they can be good events, but like those kind of landmarks in our life, right? They kind of, um, they show a turn for us. And, or like, I mean, I think we're the agent of that turn, but it's also heavily influenced by our past. Uh, But I think she just like, for me, her saying that again, from a Buddhist perspective, it's like, yeah, we are kind of dying, uh, you know, all the time and being reborn. And I think that's that's true for everybody to a certain extent. Oh, uh, so one thing uh, in the notes here that I'd like to talk about is a little bit of the history of the show, because as far so I haven't been able to find an article which really delves into the history of the show. Um, if somebody does find that article and links it to me, I'd be really appreciative. From what I can remember, essentially, this was sort of a passion project because Michael B. Jordan really liked mech animes when he was a teenager and he wanted to be in a mecha anime. So is it the sci-fi article? Uh, I don't know. Can you link it to me? Yeah. Um, Cause it says like from the beginning, Haddock and his team knew they wanted lead character to be a black man as a fun experiment, kind of a pipe dream, blah, blah, blah. Yes. Given Jordan's very public love of anime. I think this might be at least close to what you wanted. So at least we could link it in the show notes for people. Okay. I'll put it in there. But my sort of basic understanding is they, they got Michael, they got Michael B. Jordan because he was really enthusiastic about being in, in, in a mecha anime. And once they had Michael B. Jordan, they sort of built up steam and were able to get all these other big name voice actors like Maisie Williams and David Tennant uh, to be in their show as well. And I just think it's, uh, I don't know, I just like the fact that this, you know, passion project was able to get off the ground in that way. Yeah, and it seems like, because I don't know a lot about Michael B. Jordan, to be honest, but it seems like uh, he was really able to put his own, like, kind of lived experiences, not only, like, his passions, but also, like, some of his lived experiences into the show, from what it seems like on the surface. And I don't, again, I don't know very much about Michael B. Jordan, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, he's definitely been able to put his stamp on the show. I, I think he partially bankrolls the show because his company uh, helps produce it. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong about that, but I think like his production company and he's like an executive producer on the show as well. Uh, so I feel like he's definitely been able to put his stamp of how he wants his character to be uh, onto onto the show. And who is Haddock? Haddock is the... Uh, Great Haddock. Sure. He's Rooster Teeth's head of animation. He has a quote here in this history of the show article. It says, We want to be a part of that story. We want people to know that Rooster Teeth is very much behind diversity and representation and storytelling. And it's something we've been working on with each iteration of every show over the years. Haddock says, Gen Lack, it provided a fresh opportunity from day one with an ensemble that reflects the world around us. And I really love that. So again, it was. Yeah, it's not only Michael B. Jordan, there's other people behind, like, pushing for, you know, diversity, for sure. Uh, Though, speaking of Haddock, uh, you noticed something when you watched uh, the show, which I didn't notice. Do you want to talk about that? Yes, I would love to talk about that. So when we were watching this show, because I sat down with G, we start watching the show, and I was amazed. The graphics are, like, the, the animation is flawless, beautiful. I mean, it was really on point. It's stunning. And then... I just see like whenever they go close up to the face 
or even just from kind of far away, you can kind of notice it too, or at least I did, that the lips weren't sticking up with the voices. And this was really bothering me. I was like, wow, the rest of the animation is absolutely stunning. And I'm getting very distracted by the fact that their their lips are not matching their voice. And I turned to G and I said, do you see that? Like, am I, is this, are, are their lips matching up? Are their mouths matching up with the voice? And she was like, yeah, it's fine. So I was like, oh, okay, it must just be my bizarre perception. But then she <laughs> informed me. Yeah, so I was looking up the Wikipedia article uh, as part of my research for the show, and I saw in the Wikipedia article it says, for the first four months, the team animated the show without the actors' voices recorded. Uh, Haddock performed every voice for the first few episodes himself, hoping his direction would match later. Yeah, so that means basically that... Um... <laughs> Because it was animated without the actors' actual voices being recorded, the lips and or, and mouths don't always line up with the actual speech. <laughs> uh, and then when I when G sent me that, I realized, oh wow, so I was right. But then it makes sense because like I'm a linguist, I'm into articulatory phonetics, and not only that, but uh, I'm autistic, so I think I focus more on people's like lips when they're speaking. And it's not because of like an actual hearing difficulty, rather it is like a processing thing. And so I was like, oh yeah, in retrospect, like, yeah, it makes sense that I would pick up on that and other people wouldn't. Yeah, it's, if that does bother you, as far as I can tell, it's only in the first few episodes. Yes. So once, yeah, I, it got a lot better towards the end for me, actually. And that's something to just be warned about if you are someone who also might rely on you know, those mouth slash lip cues of the characters lining up with the voices and stuff like that. If you're sensitive to that, that's just something to be aware of. Yeah. But hold out there because the story is good. The story is worth it. Yeah, uh, I think it's a it's a really good story. And also the action's really good. Like, it's just a really, I mean, even if you're not looking into it for like the diversity in the story, like it's got really good action sequences, in my opinion. Absolutely. I mean, they're they're beautiful. They're stunning. And I saw, uh, for those who know um, Ruby or R-W-B-Y, I saw that they did consult Ruby about, or not Ruby themselves, the team that did Ruby, but I think it was Warner Bros. Japan was mentioned in an article uh, that they they had helped out with Ruby. Anyways, and if, if people know Ruby, the uh, something that's well known for is the amazingly choreographed uh, scenes. And I found that this show had, again, those beautiful, like, fight scenes are just choreographed so well. And it gets very personal, too, for me. Like, I mean, the the big scale animation is amazing, like, when you're having, like, all these mechs going at each other. But also the really interpersonal uh, dynamics are, are so fluid and beautiful as well. And something that I had mentioned to G when I was watching this was that there's a scene between Val and Kazu. Kazu. Yeah, Kazu. And um, not to be pronounced Kazoo, like the <laughs> Scottish girl who I'm forgetting her name. Cammy. Um, what is it? Cammy. Cammy, that's right. Yeah, so Kazu and um, and Val, they basically sync up in the mindshare and they do this really incredible kind of sword dance to fight. You know, they're fighting and they have these dual swords and they're helping, you know, each other. And it was just... Stunning on so many levels, really, that this the whole scene, I shipped them 100%. <laughs> what do you think? Do you have any ships? 
And I mean, I very rarely ship people, uh, ship characters. I think when, what was the name of the, what was the name of the characters in Food Wars? Uh, it's been so long and also I'm high. Oh, uh, well, Aldini and the main character. Yeah. How can we forget the main character's name? Um, he's the main character. Why are we so bad at this? Oh my God. (laughs) Hold on. I'm gonna look it up. It's gonna be so obvious. I'm gonna die. Soma Yukihira Soma. Yeah. Uh, Soma Yukihira and the Aldini, uh, Takumi Aldini, the blonde Aldini. Uh, that was like the first like actual, like, ship i've done in years oh and so many people ship it remember that one comic the little excerpt of the comic that i sent you yeah (laughs) yeah for the most part i don't usually like ship characters i generally you know i generally just sort of wait for the writers to um sort of organically put the stories in there i i in fact i'd consider myself more of an (laughs) anti-shipper In the sense that a lot of times I'd be like, no, these pe- these two people have no business being together. <laughs> and like this, this is not well-written uh, chemistry. Uh, this is not a, like a well-written relationship. <laughs> it's interesting that I ship characters more than, I mean, it's not, it's not surprising or anything. It's just interesting. Like I do ship characters way more than you do. I mean, from what I can gather on the internet, everybody ships characters way more than I do. <laughs> Like, uh, the, the hey, uh, you know, the heyday of Tumblr and people, uh, arguing about which ship is going to become canon. Yep. Apparently a lot of people are really into shipping. I'm not one of them, but you know, if you are cool. It's a very, so this series, Genlock, it's very short. It's eight episodes. Each episode is under 30 minutes and it makes it kind of hard to ship people. But seeing um, some of the interactions that Vale had, and we talked about Vale being gender fluid, but Vale is also recognized as being bi slash pansexual as they are seen flirting with both a woman and a man, Kazu. And um, (laughs) yeah, so also I think that representation was really great, but they did throw in enough that I was like, oh yeah, I can totally see Vale with, honestly, I can see Vale with a lot of people, but just Kazu is what called to me. I mean, at least to me, uh, like Val very much strikes me as a, um, uh, not like a one night stand person, but sort of a more casual relationship person. Yeah. Maybe polyamorous. I don't know, but it definitely doesn't strike me as like sort of deeply committed to a monogamy person. I mean, yeah, they they definitely like to have fun and like kind of go with the flow with life and uh, they don't appear to be someone who necessarily wants to like settle down. Mm-hmm. But and like you're saying like monogamously, but I think they could have like several different committed relationships on various levels. Very like uh polyamorous, anarchical yeah. kind of style. Mhm. So, let me ask you now because we've done this in other shows out of the characters who would you date or do kink with or just be friends? Well, Val. <laughs> like. Obviously, Val. Obviously, Val. 
Yeah, I could, I could see myself dating Chase, um, or being friends with Chase. Yaz is a little bit too serious for me, for me to see me dating her, but I could imagine being friends with Yaz. And I mean, if you have David Tennant's voice, you can do whatever you want to me. (laughs) (laughs) So the doctor gets to run all his experiments on you. Yeah. (laughs) What about you, Em? So Val is 100% would date, would do kink, would be friends. Chase, I think I could date Chase because he seems pretty like um, thoughtful and also kind of easygoing, like not super serious. Um, And he's curious. I like that. I'm not sure if I do kink with him. I'm not sure what his vibe is on that. And then obviously be friends with him. For Yaz, I would serve her. Like, I want her to be my mistress. 100%. (laughs) That's all I'm there for with the Yaz. Uh, Who am I missing? The doctor? The doctor, yeah. Yeah, that's easily kinky. I don't think I'd date him. I'd be friends with him, though. We'd be great friends. I love his puns. His wit is amazing. <laughs> I love when he takes over the um, Caliban. Is that his name? Yes. Cal, yeah. He And <laughs> look at me remembering the robot's name over <laughs> Cammy. Um, so Caliban, yeah, when he like takes over Caliban and he, he has that moment where he says... Um, the only thing that's bad in life is having a bad latitude when he's asked for the coordinates. <laughs> a bad latitude. Like, that was so funny to me. <laughs> Sorry, did I miss anybody? Yeah, Kazu. Yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't date Kazu. I might be friends with Kazu. What about you? Yeah, hard to say I'd be, like, into him romantically or emotionally, really. Like, as a friend emotionally. Um, not, like that romantic, emotional, whatever combination thing. Um, What about the kinky things? Okay, you know what really puts me off about him is he was like, I haven't read manga since I was, which was actually a funny line when Cammy offers to give him uh, her manga. Uh, It was actually a very funny line, but I'm like, no, if I'm going to date you, you (laughs) need to be reading the manga. I'm just kidding. That's not true. (laughs) Yeah. Neither you, neither you, G, nor X <laughs> read manga. Um, I think I could do kink with Kazu. Okay. Uh, I mean, I guess the last character is Kami, but... Like, we'd all be friends with her. Yeah. So I think the last thing I would like to touch upon is... As much as I love the show, I think there are some weaknesses to it. Right. And I would just like to sort of touch upon those. I think the big weakness from a story perspective is how little character development the antagonistic force gets. Uh, so the, the world is apparently divided between this, uh, the polity, which is the the group, the the nation state or group that the uh, our heroes fight for, and the unity. No, I'm forgetting what they're called. The what? Uh, what are you asking? The enemy faction. What are they called? Oh, the again? Union. The Union. All right, thank you. The Union get you really get no character development about 
Well, you really get no development about why these two factions are fighting. Yes, besides, we know nothing. There's no background. Uh, besides the fact that uh, the Union are bad guys because they're willing to fire on civilians, knowing they're civilians, and also, you know, they uh, started the war by invading New York and demolishing the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> That's It is a real weakness in the show, like not really understanding why this conflict is happening. Yeah. Uh, but I think the, since the show focuses so heavily on the relationships, it kind of gets away with not having to explain that. Yes, it becomes very heavily into the interpersonal dynamics. And then also, of course, the amazing mecha animations and really lacks in the background. Maybe you said there's going to be a season two, right? Uh, yes, there is a season two in development. Okay, so then hopefully, well, maybe... And maybe they don't want to, I mean, maybe not, hopefully, maybe they should just keep it how they're doing it. So that way they can keep focusing on those uh, moment to moment aspects. But it would be interesting to get a little bit more background. I think giving at least even a little bit of context to the conflict would help deepen the, the relationships, the relationships. Yes, especially knowing that like Yaz was part of the union, right? Yeah, like why? I mean, we know the Union are bad guys because, again, they're willing to shoot on civilians. Right. Um, but, you know, what was it like for Yaz, like, growing up in the Union? If I remember right. correctly, she also uh, outed her parents and they got uh, arrested or taken away. Uh, so, you know, what what were her parents doing, which, you know, caused the Union to do that? So just even like having a little bit of context, I think would help sort of strengthen the interpersonal relationships. I agree for sure. I'll be curious to see how they pull off season two. I think one of the thing I would love to see is I would love to get to know Chase's family a little bit more. Dree and uh, the mom. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely a bunch of side characters like Miguel. Miguel, I think would be interesting to learn more about. Yes, that's right, Miguel, yep. Colonel Marin, I think, would be interesting to find out more. Most of the support characters from the latter half of the series, I feel like, aren't as memorable. Like, I know there's the CEO guy. Yeah, I because he was only in, like, one episode, right? Or, like, two episodes, maybe. Yeah. It was really towards the very end. Oh, we also don't know about Sinclair. Sinclair is being taken for treatment, and we don't know if he's going to recover. Yeah. So yeah, they're they're definitely they're definitely characters they could dive into, which I'd be interested in. But yeah, I think that was sort of my main criticism, like not having sort of that context uh, for like why this fight, why this war was happening. Ma'am, did you have any uh, criticism that you wanted to bring up? Like, I think the the first couple episodes with the weird lip syncing or mouth syncing with the characters and the voices, that was one thing that definitely got me for those first few episodes. But yeah, I think the background was the main thing and wanting to just see more of these different characters that I think would be great to be developed, especially Sinclair for me there at the end. Yeah, I think overall, I was very pleased with the show. I think it was extremely well done and has some of the best representation I've ever seen. Yeah, I um, I can't wait for, for season two to come out. And uh you know, when it does, maybe we'll uh, cover this uh, series again. Sounds great. Which reminds me, there is another show that we've been wanting to cover that now has a season two. Uh, it is Bonding. 
which is on Netflix. So that might be coming up because I think, nope, you are the next K. Never mind. We'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. But yes, bonding is one of the things that we would like to uh, take an episode to uh, talk about. If you have any other suggestions of future episodes that you would like to see, please don't hesitate to email us, send us a note on Twitter, or on the Discord. The Discord application is in the show notes. And if you uh, like this uh, podcast, you've liked us talking about the show and the diversity in it and the elements of the show, you know, share it with your friends, uh, you know, get them to watch the show or not, depending on how they feel about spoilers and, uh, you know, share it so that, you know, they can get to enjoy uh, listening to us. And if you feel so inclined, you can donate at the link at the bottom of the show notes. This is M. This is G. Don't be afraid to love how you love. Love what you love. And love who you love. If you'd like to get in touch with either M or myself, you can tweet us at KNP Podcast. You can find us at knppodcast.tumblr.com. Or you can email us at kinky.nerdy.poly at gmail.com. Scientists explore genetically engineering spicy tomatoes. Like, I don't know why they would want to do this, because this is the worst idea. But there you go. Hmm. Fascinating. You know, if a spicy tomato does come out, I'm going to have to make a bet with you about something so I can get you. No, to... you are absolutely not. <laughs> make you eat a raw spicy tomato. I'm not going to eat a spicy tomato. <laughs> not even for the novelty? Yeah, for the novelty, but I'm not going to bite into it like an apple. <laughs> All right. I'll take a little tiny piece. <laughs>